Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Midpoint. Comedian, presenter and author, Dara O'Brien is my guest today. Dara was once described as Britain's best-loved Irishman and became a household name hosting Mock the Week, the satirical panel show which ran for 17 years. He's toured prolifically and is currently performing his stand-up show. So, where were we? A phrase I'm sure many of us midpointers are already quite familiar with. Dara studied mathematics and theoretical physics at the University of Dublin. So perhaps it's no surprise he's become known for his scientific passions as well as his ability to make us all laugh. He's a polymath, isn't he? He's presented Dara O'Brien's Science Club, School of Hard Sums, Wonders of the Moon and published three children's books on astronomy. So no slouch. We're also going to be joined by co-founder of Leon and author of Ravenous, Henry Dimbleby, to talk about the state of our national food system and why it needs to radically change to protect our future health and the environment. Lots of big topics to get our heads around today. I hope you've had your Omega-3. First up, here's Dara. Dara O'Brien, thank you so much for coming on The Midpoint. It's taken me a while, but I got you here. Yeah, sorry. That, I mean, and that gives a false illusion that I literally have filled every day with activity when, in fact, really, there's a lot I of I thought you were spent. trying to get to the end point or something no, so you couldn't come on. The, why is there, is there another one you do at the point of death? Is there, is there a... I've, I've got a succession plan, obviously. Um, how is midlife treating you? Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I don't register it in that way a lot of the time, but except when... Uh, it's more that I've kind of uh, comfortably become dad-like uh, would be the only way in which I think of it uh, like that, both in terms of <laughs> things I don't make an effort in and things I do make an effort in. Such as? You know, fashion. Uh, <laughs> let's say, crap, I'm not, you know, I wore some really cool coats in my time, but I don't think I've got any in the cupboard at the moment. And I don't give that much of a shit. The, uh, there was a uh, fleecy period that I've, I've actually stopped doing that now and I'm, and I'm going back to slightly more tailored things. But I, I knowingly was going, oh yeah, look, this is, you know, uh, this is me acknowledging where I am <laughs> in the world. Because but you're I think, in the public eye so, and you do shows on telly. I do. Well, for those I dress up. I, mean, I just mean, I, yeah. just mean, I don't, okay. like, I don't okay. walk around, uh, you know, in a, in a full length. I had a, I had a fur coat at one stage when I was about 20. The uh, uh, fake fur, <laughs> I must stress. And it was very cool. Uh, but the uh, I had a long leather coat once, like it looked like Shaft. I did not look like anything like Shaft. But uh, but definitely there was a, it was uh, my scoring coat. I don't need a scoring coat. <laughs> I haven't needed a scoring coat in some time. But there are things like that that, that I register I have not done in a long time or cared about doing in a long time. The uh, places I've been, clubs, let's say, whatever. Things, things of the young that I have mm. not done nor worried about doing. And then you go, fuck me, not, not, not in 15, 20 years have I worried about that or been intrigued by that, the notion of that at all. And some of it's very content, I, I, it's grand, but, the, mm. uh, but also I work in an industry which kind of sticks you in a certain amount of stasis, you know. So in my own head, I'm still 35 to something, you know what I mean? The, uh, I'm mm. kind of, that's, that was the point at which I hit a certain level and I've been touring at that level really ever since. So I really, I have to kind of wake up and go, oh, that was, 
Mock the Week was 19 years ago that started or something. And yeah. So that's it. Yeah. And do your audience grow with you? They because that's the thing do. I always wonder with comedians, whether you pick up younger people. Well, firstly, a large part of the problems of comedy is that people were picking up younger people. Uh, and that is something that we've tried <laughs> to eradicate from the industry as much as possible. They, um, we're very much down on the picking up younger people part of it all. D- yeah, you do a bit. Now, the, the, it was slightly confused by the fact that I was never cool. So I never got a particular 18 to 25 kind of uh, demographic. Shrewd move. You know what? It was actually wise enough, like whatever. It wasn't mm. choice. It was very much, very much fate decreed that, like whatever. So when like Bush was cool and the, in case you'd see these shows appear, you know, there have been other examples. Of, most of them were disgraced, though, interestingly, but the uh, who were very, very hip for a while. Comedy generally tends not to be too hip at the best of times. And I was always very broad, very kind of, I used to get a huge range of ages and I've continued sort of to do that. So the the, the midpoint, sorry, sorry, the median of them has probably shifted older, but I was always a broad spread of ages. Mm. So, um, I, I mean, it was characteristically that I would have somebody come up to me, young hip person would come up and go, oh, my dad loves you. <laughs> or so that, that was that was basically how it worked for me. I was perennially older than I was in some way, you know, from when I was a kid. I was one of those people. Um, who was and do you think that's kind of general as well never mind the professional life were you somebody who because you don't you haven't changed that much not at all no no so do you think you've grown into I, I think so I the think, person you were supposed to be yeah there was, there was a point I think when I was when I was uh, 29 I did a show in Edinburgh in which I would ask audience to guess what age I was um, at 29 and the average was always 37 Um and weirdly now that feels like not a big deal. It feels like, but actually, because I'm 51 now, so that feels like that is really splitting hairs. But at 29, that felt like an awful thing. And it was like a big punchline. I would go, I'm 29. And they'd all laugh. But I was always the old, older as a kid, partly because you're tall. It's a weird mm. kind of psychological thing that people have that you're used to looking upwards at, at older mm. people. And mm. that sort of, I think, subconsciously hangs around. Like, so, yeah. so taller people. Frankie Dettori just, just retired. Like, oh, why so soon? Yes, why so soon? Only, he started to the man's in his 20s. <laughs> he, he clearly was quietly won the lottery or something and, and was supposed to get out of the game. But the, uh, so I think there's that bald, ticks you, puts ears onto you as well, or whatever. But then I think, but I was, you know, I wasn't bald as a child. It was so, I, but I always. <laughs> well, you probably was. were as a baby. <laughs> okay, so I've moved from baldness to non-boldness brief period of non-boldness back into boldness again so it's very much was my thing but the so I think I always had that air of someone who was a little bit older but but yeah but I'm not sure if now if they, people were guessing age would but probably say like and it wouldn't really matter oh you're 53 I'm not I'm 51 uh, it doesn't really matter anymore but uh, yeah I think I had to age into it to a certain extent. age into, into yourself you, yeah. you just touched upon it there about comedy's kind of me too moment if you like yeah. and the whole shifting I, I think it's bigger than that in terms of what comedy can do and can't do and yeah, some yeah. comedians say everything can be funny and some comedians you know decide that there are there are rules as you pointed out before your comedy was never particularly cruel or you know no, uh, no, no, no. sexist or you know kind of racist or you know no, no, I'm glad you um, say that. you keep going yeah. with this I mean, never <laughs> ever you're going to put this on your poster yeah um, his comedy so, was never cruel or racist <laughs> or sexist the, yeah. so, you, so do you feel like you've had to at all shift what you think is funny oh it's, 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 that's very interesting because uh, a lot of the discussion about comedy is seems to come from people who don't watch a lot of comedy uh, mm. and who s- just see a kind of a particular part of it. Headlines. Yeah, see the headlines <laughs> of it. and uh, Or see 
some very, very high profile, like whether it's Jimmy Carr or Ricky Gervais doing jokes about whatever mm. the uh, and think that that's well, that, that's what comedy is like. The uh, it's it's people doing one liners, uh, uh, punching down or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> there are, there are six hundred shows in Edinburgh which aren't about any of that. The entire industry is very happily being you know storytelling or walking into into lampposts or being hit in the in the in the face with a pie. So people kind of find their voice independent of what the trends are, and then find themselves pushed into being well. He's the hot thing right now. I think it's the same music, like whatever. They're probably you just do what you do, and occasionally the moving finger of something being fa- being being trendy, or whatever, passes you and and anoints you for a while. And but you and then you just carry on doing what you do, and people go, "No, we're bored of that now. We've seen that." And then you move out of it, like, and you never you never change to a certain extent. You once you found your voice. But I so I hear lots of discussion about. I had a dad come up to me at the school gates a couple of years ago, a man I've never met before nor since. So I'm not sure what they, but he was at the school gates and he came up and said, oh, you can say nothing these days. And I was literally at a point where I was editing the show down from because it had become longer and longer. And there's a point where I have to, you know, drop stuff to get it back under two hours again, because there's loads, as you can say, there's actually tons of funny things happening in the world and, and always will be just to reassure people, there will always be lots to say and always be comedians like cockroaches will survive every nuclear war and we will be there at the after a zombie apocalypse. There'll be a, there'll be an open spot uh, night and people go, hey, what about those zombies? Uh, and then and then we'll try to do a gig for the zombies as well, just to double up. Uh, they will always be there and we'll always find some angle and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think we want Watch the pendulum swing and we watch attitudes, certain attitudes change and we, we see that happening and sometimes we move into shade and sometimes we move into light, but we carry on doing what we're doing really to a huge extent, which isn't the same as saying things like, you know, uh, there being more women and more representation and more uh, minorities and stuff. These are all pr- proper permanent changes and there being a, you know, like, don't go being a, a monster to, to you know, vulnerable members of the audience, like whatever, that mm. absolutely, that's, that's you know, that's, an, that's not a pendulum swing that's just I think generally no. but it's, but it's interesting you could say that because um, in terms of uh, I mean it doesn't bother me at all that this was said on Mock the Week but um, Frankie Boyle right. um, referred to me as a transvestite and said something about uh, things things you wouldn't hear on the Olympics or something and it was something to do with me being uh, having man's hands or something and um, and yeah. I you know I heard about it second hand then yeah. saw it but I was thinking about that when speaking to you like that that probably wouldn't make telly now. No, nope, it wouldn't. It absolutely wouldn't. You know? the, I, I don't think even Frankie would do, would do a joke like that now. I think mm. we're just a lot more aware of who the joke is on, um, mm. which we weren't. Uh, the uh, And uh, and that particular, because, you know, Frankie's era, that time, that was 14 years ago was mm. when Frankie left the show. That, so there's, there's a whole half a generation has mm. gone has passed through and I think the taste has changed enormously. I remember constantly. So is it, is it the audience demanding yeah, comedy? Yeah, to a huge extent, the audience just just. Mm. I mean, some audience would, would you know want jokes that are. So it was very casually said, and I'm not sure mm. if whatever the equivalent now. Well, you know, on cats, which is still running, or or you know, have a news view that people would absolutely do anything like that. Do jokes like that anymore? Mm. They, I just think it was a, it was a very specific period, and people mm. for some reason took it as a default setting that we strayed away from, and you kind of go, no, that was just that time. You reflected what was going on. Sort of. Well, you know, I mean, like, I, I'm not going to give myself any free passes on this. I was there. I mean, I've done that joke, but I, I was there. But it was, I remember getting a lot of interviews at the time asked about rape jokes, which were a very common thing. Uh, so much so that it was, I was asked all the time about it. Why are there so many blah, blah, blah. And I would go, and I would always have something about, look, I think, it, I think it's a cheap holiday and somebody else's misery. I don't do it myself. A lot of younger comics are trying to ape Jimmy and Frankie by just going for being shocking 
I remember this whole answer that I was so, I had to give so often, it was almost like a spiel because it was such a thing that they're, why is everyone doing this? And the whole circuit just doesn't do that anymore. It just isn't that anymore. And so it's, it's really interesting the, 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 what we thought was acceptable. I, you know, obviously apologise for any hurt cause. I know you're not. I know you absolutely aren't in any way, you know, carrying a... Just, just, just put the caveat out there. Yeah, yeah. But, but, it was, but it was, yeah, but I think, I think there's stuff that, that, that was said that mm. was, you know, just you simply wouldn't do now. No. And what about having, because your kids are late teens, you know, coming up to... Uh, no, the, 16, 15, 16? 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, they think is funny and I wonder how much that influences you and how much you influence them yeah I, I'm not sure the 15 year old um, <laughs> well I'm dearly it's still a 15 year old girl we we don't uh, <laughs> discuss the arts and my career I have offered to, for her to go to the show but she was very uninterested so uh, not, there's zero <laughs> in that situation yeah the 12 year old likes yeah, Taskmaster or something like that like whatever things like mm-hmm. that happen you know and the seven-year-old is, is is very malleable and like silly stories and noises so still so um, so the seven-year-old think you're hilarious occasionally but I'm very much the second place in the popularity contest within the house so you had a dog uh, <laughs> no oh my god it could be bumped now we just got a new dog uh, I might be moved down but the dog is quite big and the seven-year-old is going to freak out by how big the dog is this is a whole other thing this is how middle-aged my life is I worry about the dog now <laughs> um, so no, I, I mean, do, I did Taskmaster, for example, because they they loved it. And so that, you make career choices sometimes, occasionally, yeah, occasionally, yeah. and but a lot of the time, no, because I mean, probably the great thing is that there's that I will rejudge how many tour dates I will do probably next time because I've been away a lot, and I be and I'm I'm sort of beginning to feel that I'm away from home a lot and away from them a lot, but also I'm away a lot. <laughs> <It's crap. laughs> And every time I say that, everyone has exactly the two responses, which is, oh, my God, it must be really difficult to be away from your family. And then there's a beat where they go, still, you're away from your family. <laughs> I can go, yeah, and I can sleep in and I can do things to my schedule. And I find absolutely yeah. I need to do that every so often. How are you acclimatising when you come back? Because my family say when I've been to a World Cup or something mm. and I come home, they apparently give me a day or two before they jump oh. on me and tell me that I'm acting strange or that I'm not in the rhythm of the kind of ha- do you feel like you jump straight into the rhythm of the house um, no I think I I, um, I find <laughs> I find that the I'm desperate to get home and then I'm like oh my god this is just chill, kids screaming and the dog jumping up the, yeah. so I very quickly feel the need to go away again yeah no no I just, there's no a lot of my life anyway is spent veering violently between late night life just by necessity and then having to get up for school runs and stuff so it's almost like I spend every second day sleeping in for for 10 hours and then the following day getting four hours sleep and I go between those two constantly you're like a shift worker essentially yeah only in only that regard the uh can I claim any kind of hardship but it is because obviously the, the comedian clock is you energy levels you peak at to half 10 mm. the uh you could build up the f- f- big finale of the show boom I'm off stage great I'm awake now mm. uh, now I'll drive for three hours or whatever or I'll go out with the and get to sleep at three o'clock. And that is my natural sleeping time is three o'clock anyway. I'm just kind of always been that. But family life does not suit that. And mm. so the gear change is there is no, it's like constantly moving between two time zones, endlessly going between flying west five hours and then back east every, every and this day. This is when you're 
touring or gigging? Because yeah, I just any, gigging. Well, I find yeah, if, if I'm touring in particular, it's an extreme version of that. But I'll only be away for two or three days, or maybe just a day. It's not like I'm mm. like like you. I go away for a tournament, and mm. I, I can understand that. I very rarely go away for too much of that. Maybe I'll do two weeks in Canada or you know Australia, New Zealand, maybe one of those long blocks for a couple of weeks. More, it's more just day by day. On Thursday, I was in Leicester, so I had to go to Leicester and then drive back, so I got to sleep at three. Friday morning, I got to be up because the dog has to be let out at 6.30. That kind of stuff. You go violently between those two time things. So I'm either incredibly well rested or exhausted. <laughs> Do you want to take a guess what I am today? <laughs> I think today you may have burnt the candle. Yeah, a little last bit. Night. little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and how, uh, so tell me a little bit about how you, you described there, that obviously the energy levels are fluctuating. Compared to your younger self, how, I mean, obviously when you haven't got kids, you can sleep when you like. So yeah. it's obviously the question is, you know, kind of going to be, post-children, but say from your um, mid-30s onwards when you had kids and you were juggling all of that, are you finding as a midlife man you've got to alter other things in your life? Can you process alcohol the same way? Are you eating differently? Um, disappointingly, note on the eating. Eating is, is, is probably something that has to change some stage. I, you know, it's, it's a bad lifestyle and it's not, like I can bounce around a lot, but I'm, you know, I'm a big guy and so I really have to do something about that. That's a whole other podcast series that, that has to happen at some stage. The drinking a little bit less, certainly less, around the, less at home. Energy generally in a more kind of uh, global sense, I think that's the one thing I noticed that, I, that if you were to say to me, could you start it all again? I would go, I would go, jeez, I don't think I could do. I don't think I could do the stuff that you just put up with in your 20s where you drive five hours to 20 minutes on stage and back down again just for the sheer thrill of those 20 minutes. The thought of just going to another country and redoing it and building it all up again. I think that in a broad sense, I think the energy to start something again would be, I'd find, I'd find the one thing was missing or was less anyway. So um, I am very aware of there was a long period of, you know, you're building new new gigs and going to new places and all that. I feel for the first time that I'm now very happy now not to take on as many new things because I find I find that in the in the in the globe, so it's not down to specific. Yes, I'm. Uh, yes, I get sleepy during the day, uh, whatever, and all that, you know. And, but I because I don't have to work an eight hour, ten hour day. I don't feel those rhythms probably in the same way as as as, as a lot mm. of people do. But I do think that if you say to me this career is now over, could you go to America and restart it? I would go. That would be my absolute nightmare of oh god, doing all that again. Now somebody did say to me that when the kids have grown up, they get you get a burst of energy again. Yeah. When, you're, when that's not part I'm of I'm in your, it right now. Yeah, but right now we've got like a yeah. seven-year-old because of the, yeah, it's so, mm. uh, so, but I thought the thought of doing it all again, uh, quietly mm. I have, it's mm. my nightmare. I go, Jesus, imagine. It's interesting to... because you're a year older than me. Yeah. My kids have just done their A-levels. So I am that ah. person that's got this energy because they're, you know, they're they're, my son's off the payroll even, you know, he's gone to be a professional rugby player. So he doesn't even cost anything anymore. He's not a cost centre. And my and my daughter is having a gap year and she's very self-sufficient. So we're kind of, I was being cynical, by the way, about my son being a cost centre before anybody uh, <laughs> says anything. Um, but I, but I am, I'm, I'm experiencing that energy right now and not having to think about, I was working in London late last night yeah. and I had to be in London really early this morning and we live about an hour out of London. And I thought, I'm just going to stay over in London where I never would have done that before because I'd have to, I have to be there at breakfast time. You know, I have to right. show my face right, and yeah, make yeah. sure. And it's almost like a kind of, you know, resolve. You know, I have to kind of like make sure that everybody, even though they could have breakfast perfectly sensibly and normally on their own. And now I, I don't have to do that. I can sleep in a hotel if I want. And, you know, I can, obviously Kenny would be start to get a bit suspicious if I did that four <laughs> to five times a week. Yeah. But that's, you know, <laughs> but I think that is true. And your kids being a bit younger, you know, you might get that a little bit later on, that kind of zest for kind of changing things. But it's interesting what you say about 
the appetite for new things. In a way that I, I feel wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago, that I was mm. not rushing out the door, but I was rushing to get back on stage. Any, any, stage, I'm on stage, brilliant. This for the first time feels like a, oh God, feels like that I can t- I'm thinking in terms of how many more times would I do this? You know, um, yeah. two more times maybe? Is that a point where I can go, fine, well, grand. You're going to be like Frank Sinatra, though, aren't you? You're going to have loads of farewell tours. Just, <laughs> this is it now, guys. You know, Last chance to see me. This, and could then... be it. this could be it. I'm not saying it's not going to be it, but this <laughs> might be the last chance to like four people in, you know, City of Horizons and Leeds going, is this, can we, can we lock the doors there? Can we finally shut this down? The, uh, worryingly, unfortunately, I always thought that, you know, the market will decide more often, more than I will decide when it's no longer viable to do it. But like, but it is definitely, and this is an admission, the first time in my life, that I felt, yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't think I can do this indefinitely. I don't think I'm going to be, you know, George Burns at 95 or Jackie Mason. And that's not because of material. This is because purely right now because of the energy. Physical energy, yeah. I think, I think, I mean, like, you always worry that, I remember having this conversation about 10 years ago. Let's say to start with, like, turning into 40. Because there was a thing about, oh, comedians over 40, do they have anything to say anymore? Frankie started. Frankie, by the way, is still touring. Um, there was a kind of a weird, you know, oh, hey, hope I die before I get old kind of sense of, oh, you could never, you couldn't still be doing this. And I had a conversation with, with various people, Chris Addison, various people that are going, is writing, is it a process or is it a well that you go to and at some stage you drop the bucket down and the bucket goes dunk and you go, oh, there's nothing in the well anymore, right? Turns out it's a process. Turns out absolutely it's a skill that you develop and that you can carry on doing it. And hopefully the ideas remain sort of fresh or you get better at writing about things that are don't have to be what an amazing clash of ideas. But you telling a story, you get better at telling mm-hmm. a story. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and, and so maybe richer stories come. I mean, like the current show I did has a 40 minute story about how I found my birth mother. And mm. what she went through and what happened to her and the Irish state and how they did all that, which is funny, but sad and all that. But you can, and so you, as you, I couldn't have done that at 25, couldn't have done no. that show. The, uh, so no. I, but I you know, only went in search of your yeah, birth Yeah, it, it was relatively recent. Ago, so the story yeah. only happened a couple of years ago. Mm. But equally, I think I would have maybe thrown it away with a one-liner back mm. when I, back when I was starting off at the year or done a solo version, rather than knowing now, right, I can, I, you're in the room, lads, no, you're not going mm. anywhere. So now I'm going to bring you on this journey. And it mm. worked out very well. I mean, b- b- but it was, but it was still felt like a very scary thing to do. So, do you think you've become more of a storyteller than a than a kind of forty laughs in? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I still rush. I rush to a laugh um, in my stories. <laughs> I pick the stories that, that do. This is the only one which has felt like a really, really different example of how of what to do. So, I think there's still. I would still want there to be bang, 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 bang. And then if I, and if it's not that, it's because I'm deliberately going to bring you on a, on a different journey. But it was very interesting to do a gear change and have audiences go, oh, this has gone quiet. Because also we can't read quiet. We cannot read mm. quiet. We do not know the difference between look, a gripped audience and a bored audience. They make the same noise and it's enormously confusing. So maybe the reason I'm tired is I spent a year and a half with a voice in my head going, You've lost them. You've, you're, you're boring them here for 40 minutes. And then at the end, they all stand and cheer and, and they get the story and they love mm-hmm. it. But you don't know in the middle of it. And that has felt like a choice each time. And maybe if I just write 90 minutes of gags and just go out the road and do that, I mm. will be also be full of energy again. So the, mm. uh, yeah, so it's an interesting one. I'm also by the way, at the very end of a tour. Yeah, so it's so a natural kind of point where you're kind of, you know, you've only got 12 more to go or so, so. So the, the 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 search for your birth mother and you've spoken about this extensively and you know obviously yeah. it's in your show so we're not going over any new ground here but I wonder how much your confidence as a midlife person and the life that you'd lived led you to think that was the right time because it was a you, you waited a while I did I did it. and I think there was 
while I knew in my thirties, or I, knew, I sort of knew in my twenties, but I, but I did. I very much thought, no, this is not. This is the thing I'll find out about later. Uh, and I think part of it was, you know, it was more starting my own family, all that kind of stuff. I mm. think I had to come at it from from as as slightly older, slightly. You know, I was never. I've always, I came from a very emotionally content kind of background. Mm. Mm. You know, look, I'm the I'm the poster for someone who's clearly quite content I'm like mm. I don't have any you, you can't, I never give off a kind of a sense of neurosis about this mm. and, and, and I shouldn't I was like you know and this is very much a case of you know what this might be a you know I should do this it was also because I realised and this really realising came quite late that she didn't know anything about this and that I I had an obligation to her a responsibility mm. to let her know that I was okay because she so had she never... didn't know you were Dara O'Brien on the telly. Mm-hmm, nothing at all. Call closed. Um, Ireland seventy. They literally just take the child off you. Uh, the brutal way I put it, it was Ireland's version of abortion. Mm-hmm. The, uh, which is they just took the child off you, and then that was it. There was mm-hmm. no contact, no no way of doing it anymore. It's there have been so many be... dramatizations of this, and and still it's. And there was a thing on recently, wasn't there? About yeah, the, woman on the uh, wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. it still feels like it's endlessly interesting to people. Uh, if people are listening to this and they don't know the story, I mean, Philomena is obviously you know the kind of Oscar nominated film. Where would you tell them to go artistically to get the best? Well, Philomena, well, Philomena is what made me do the search, right? Yeah, uh, because I was the Philomena film story, Philomena Lee, who. And I always see this and say, in quotation marks, gave her child up for adoption because it's obviously very coercive mm. uh, in a kind of a state way. The, uh, and then spent the, her entire life looking for the child. And it's an amazing story in itself, mm. as they all tend to be quite amazing mm. stories. So that would be a good, a good starting point the, uh, for, for the kind of thing that was going on. It was very much a heavy hand of the Catholic Church and the state and secrets are kept. I mean, again, the ability to get your own information, to literally get your own mm. file, mm. With, they were, that was only opened up last year. You know, this is you couldn't get your own birth cert in Ireland until last year. The yes, so and suddenly there's a rush of people going, Christ! They, so they're 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 they're, they're drowning in, in in the amount of people who suddenly went, well, thanks. Can I finally get this now? Mm. Let's have the file. So the uh, so it was um, it was as much that it was it wasn't made easy to find. Mm. But there are further parts of the story that I have you know more fun, more upbeat parts of it, and I might include in the next thing whatever there's a, there's, mm. a, there's a whole funny thing about another family you though. said uh, about your religious background that you're um, I think ethnically Catholic is that yeah, right? yeah 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 um, but obviously uh, not obviously but you are an atheist I mean with your scientific yeah. background I would not suspect anything else um, it would be uh, to be a theoretical physicist <laughs> and then decide that you believe in God is also quite a, That's, a conundrum I've always found it a weird thing yeah when people do that like whatever but generally at this point in life I always find it very strange when I meet people who are very religious and I go God really really <laughs> Like, uh, that's coming from like a 30 years ago in Ireland or whatever, 40 years ago in Ireland, it was just presumed. Yeah. And now it, the presumption would be totally the other way, I think. The, uh, but tell me, about, tell me about your spirituality then. Zero. It was it was a, f- a habit thing. That was, I went along to church because of my folks and they brought me, and that's what you did in Ireland. And you got, you got, you had your sacraments um, and you got confirmed and you did your first communion and you went every Sunday and you did, uh, and they put away from your lip and your mm-hmm. tongue and it gets stuck in the roof of your mouth uh, and all that stuff. Um, all that rich observational tapestry of Irish uh, of Irish life happened. You get to a point where you can make your own decisions and you just stop going. And at some point you tell your folks. Interestingly, uh, I used to go back for Christmas and then I would have to go every Christmas day. That was a very common thing. You have to go Christmas mm-hmm. day. Uh, and then one day on Christmas Eve, I crashed a car 
and it was the first time I'd ever driven out there and I managed to crash the first time I ever drove out there and the following day it was presumed that I was probably still upset about the car crash and they left me alone uh, and that was it that was the last time I and really? I, I never had to, I, I never had to keep with the pretense of it all there was they're, they're still quite religious like they're, and, and it's still mm. important to them and my father in particular who there are routines of mine he does not like because mm. of this but then he also specifically raised me to be not argumentative per se but to be you know forge my own path and I'm kind of going well made the rod for your own back there do you find in while you you know clearly going to church is not going to provide you with any kind of solace as a as you get older do you find yourself needing some kind of release some kind of and I use the word prayer loosely in terms of yeah, like whether yeah. that's nature or whatever it is that you need t- quiet time somewhere uh, I'll happily take quiet time. I'll happily sit in some nice countryside or I will read, a, you know, go. Uh, I'll very happily have quiet time where I can go to the room I'm in now and they will leave me alone. That's very nice. But no, I've never, it, it's never, I've never had any kind of voice calling or, mm. or sense of there being, I'm not a very spiritual person. It just not, doesn't ring any dials for me. So the, the decision to be, a, be an atheist was never kind of some intellectual, people, t- I, I think, particularly very religious people think that you had to wrestle with this uh, and that you you killed God with logic and you're kind of going no there just there was no there was never any it was like a, an mm. absolute it's like being someone who's you know I don't like I don't like music or I don't like sport mm. you know you meet people who don't like and you go God really and they go mm. never and, uh, and I find that they probably look at me the same way where I go how could you not how would you like some of it? There must be some sports. There must be, there must be the need occasionally for a bit of sport. The, uh, you must take a bit of it. Like the, uh, but, uh, I don't, do these people exist? You're saying there are, something. There are, there I, are. Just, I can't hear this. It's astonishing. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're going to have a bit of a gear change now because I'm going to bring today's expert on. And this is a man who his life has been kind of entrenched in food, I think, for the last few decades. Henry Dimbleby was one of the co-founders of Leon. And he has written reports for the government on food and the future of food. And his latest book, Ravenous, is talking about the problems we have globally uh, with food production and how perhaps a lot of people who have weight issues might not just have themselves to blame. So, um, Henry, welcome to The Midpoint. Thank you. Listening to your conversations made me feel very old. I'm 53 and I've realised I'm the oldest person in the room. But you're still in the midpoint. (laughs) I don't feel it. So my father is 83 and still working full time. So I'm quite shocked. Dara and I have a lot in common. I was a, I studied theoretical physics at university. I've got children age 15, 
13 and 11. You both wear glasses. I feel like my career's <laughs> going to go up. I can't, the idea of thinking I'm winding down is I mean, no, terrified me, that, Dara. That is not the point of the midpoint. I mean, most people kind of, I think Dara's going through a phase which he'll come through and he, he alluded to it about kids. When they get to kind of school leaving age, it does feel like you just have the ability to say yes to things again in a way that you didn't before. I re- already feel the freedom of the kids. I feel like some people like early. young kids. Some people like young kids. And like my kids are so much nicer now. Like I can talk to them. Like every moment like you celebrate, you don't have the pram and then you don't have to put on their shoes. And now like they're people who I can I can chat to. It's, I, I feel very finally relaxing this phase. Although the endless taxi driving is a bit... Yeah, but yeah, when they can drive, my gosh, that is the game changer. That is amazing. And when you can send them on errands, oh my gosh, Dara, um, could you go? I can send my daughter a shopping list. She can go to the supermarket and do a full shop. Can you pick up my dry cleaning? Can you do, you know? And and they think it's a treat to do that at the start, you know, because it's like they feel so grown up doing it. So I hope she's not listening. Henry, you have written uh, a book which is looking into a subject, I think, which is going to become more and more um, in the zeitgeist in terms of how we're producing food. It's certainly something that I'm quite passionate about and what we're doing with our you know with our diets globally and what the World Health Organization is telling us about global obesity um in it, tell us a little bit about your uh, motivation to write ravenous well so I mean it's interesting it really started with my business partner John Vincent we set up Leon the restaurant chain and through that we got it was a very selfish thing when we set up we couldn't get good fast food and so we wanted to have good fast food. So we, like, all the fast food was either like delicious Kentucky Fried Chicken that made us feel miserable or cold sandwiches at the time. But then we kind of saw the problems close up at the food system, both in terms of the environmental destruction and in terms of the health problems that our food system was causing. And I remember my, my wife, after we had our first son, George, who's now 15, and it was a, it was a proper medieval labor. It was like, uh, 48 hours long and it started at home and we went in an ambulance to the hospital and but afterwards she came out of this thing and she was wandering around the park and like, all the people it's a lovely spring day and all the people were kind of just wandering around the park as normal and she wanted to go up to them and like shake them and say don't you realize what goes on how can you all be wandering around the park when women have to go through this like why is no one talking about this and I kind of felt with the motivation for kind of writing about getting involved in the food system was like, when you see the harm that it does close up, you have to kind of, you have to shout about it, you have to shake it because the food system is by far the biggest cause of biodiversity collapse, uh, deforestation, the clearing of aquatic life, freshwater pollution, freshwater shortage, after energy, it's the second biggest cause of greenhouse gas emissions and it's by far now far exceeds smoking in terms of being the 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 biggest cause of uh, avoidable ill health you know in this country by 2035 type 2 diabetes is going to cost the nhs more than treating all cancers does it's an absolute disaster but there was also the kind of personal thing i spent my life kind of struggling to keep my way i bounced around between the kind of high high side of okay and the low side of obese. My daughter, Dory, we talked about in the book, how I woke up one morning just a couple of years ago with my daughter, Dory, looming over me. You know, that thing when they creep in and you wake up and they're like uh, <laughs> above you. And, and she said to me, Daddy, were you always this chubby even when you were young? It was a slightly brutal start to the day. But what I've realized kind of on the personal thing is, as you said, that so much of it is so much of what we're told about how to 
eat more healthily, be more healthy is wrong. And so much is dependent both on the genes and on the food environment that you live in. And I think we could make people's lives much easier if if they knew a bit more about that and certainly less less stressful. And I think if you realize that there are lots of things that you can do that will make you healthy, may make you lose weight, but will certainly make you much healthier. And you realize that if you've got certain genes, you shouldn't just be blaming yourself about it. You could, you could improve people's lives immeasurably. You, you say um, something which was quite shocking. The number of calories that is produced is twice the number now on the planet. So basically, does that mean that we're producing twice as much food as we need? Or is it the, the quality? In some ways, the food system is a great is like one of the great triumphs. In 1945, after the war, there were 2.8 billion people on the planet. People were looking at the food production it, it, up until that point in human history when we had grown a population. We'd simply dug up more land to plant more crops. But they projected that there were going to be 8 to 10 billion people in 50 years' time, and they were right. There are 8 billion people now. And there wasn't going to be enough land to dig up. So everyone was at that stage like, my God, there's going to be this terrible... The, the, the next period of human history is going to be about starvation, war, resource shortage. What is now ironically known as the Green Revolution, the form of farming that takes new genetic forms of crops, match them with nitrogen fertilizer created using the harbour bosch process and modern forms of irrigation, means that from slightly less land, we now produce twice the number of calories per person for 8 billion people than we did for, for 2.8 billion people, albeit horribly unevenly distributed. So we have both problems of obesity and malnutrition. Often, actually, in now, if you go to sub-Saharan countries, and actually even in the Maghreb and other areas, developing nations, they now have both problems at the same time. So the, the middle classes are suffering from type 2 diabetes, obesity, and the poor are still malnourished. So it's a, a difficult problem. And we in the West, and let's focus on, you know, this country and these aisles, um, obviously have got a growing obesity problem, growing type 2 diabetes problem as well. Does your book come up with, you just said there, there are ways of hacking into it. Does it come up with a plan? Yes. Yeah, so, so basically what most people believe, including those that are overweight, is that the solution to the problem is uh, education and exercise. So if you are, the, the corollary of that is that if you are overweight, you are either ignorant or lazy. And neither of those things are true. So exercise is the most fantastic thing you can do. It's like if you could prescribe exercise a drug, it would be the most powerful drug you could prescribe. It happens to be pretty bad at making you lose weight because when you exercise, your body makes you feel hungrier. And also it actually adjusts the the calories it spends on other things like reproduction in your immune system. So like you can exercise and exercise and exercise and your body will actually be reducing the, the money it spends elsewhere. So we tell people to exercise and they do and they don't lose weight and then they stop exercising, which was the best thing they could possibly be doing. So the first thing is in your mind completely to separate exercise and weight. Exercise because it's great for your mental health and it's unbelievably good. Your body actually, after you've exercised, triggers a cleaning up process, which is why exercise is so good for our health. 
So that's kind of first thing. And then the second thing Yeah, so we just say is, we're not saying don't exercise. Can we just... We are saying <laughs> absolutely exercise. It is the most important thing you can Good. do. But then combination also... Of, at our age, you need a combination of... Absolutely, yeah. Uh, strength, cardio... And stretching, and I can't. But stretching is where I really struggle. I can't bear stretching. So if you can, you, you give me a hack back for how I can enjoy stretching, Gabby. I will thank you forever. Yeah. Um, As an next gymnast, sec- yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't imagine the, the, if I like stretching or not. So go on then on the food side. So the, so the second thing is, when you are thinking about diet, think about appetite, and and your appetite. Some people are hungrier naturally than others. It. it in a population, you wanted some people who, you know, who would survive famine. That would be me and when our genes evolved. If there was a famine, all the all the thin guys and women would perish and we'd be still around. But you also wanted people who were young and fit and could defend the village and all that kind of stuff. So you think about your appetite. And the food system we have today has, uh, in the book we call it, and the, the national food strategy, we call it the junk food cycle, basically food companies have hacked into our appetite. They've noticed that the kinds of foods that are calorie dense, high in sugar, salt and fat, give us ex- disproportionate rewards for eating them. And when they're calorie dense and they're low in insoluble fiber, they literally, the ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, when you eat those kind of foods, goes up. And uh, GLP-1 and leptin, the satiety hormones, go down. So, 85% of the food that is made, processed food that's sold today, is deemed by the WHO as too unhealthy to sell to children. They are hacking into this appetite. And when you talk to the food companies, the, the CEOs, they're like, we can't do anything about it. All the money's there. We need regulation from government. So what can you do personally? Personally, you can think about not restricting calories, but eating lots of veg, lots of fiber, lots of pulses, avoiding sugar, if you do those things, you may well lose weight because those things will fill you up more. So you'll naturally eat fewer calories. But sure as hell, even if you don't lose weight, if you eat the right foods and exercise, you will be multiples of times less likely to, to get the sort of cancers associated with this, diabetes, coronary heart disease, hypertension, all those things. So really, the kind of one message to individuals is don't think about dieting think about diet think about just trying to eat the good stuff and then letting other things take care of themselves it seems dar i don't know whether they're listening or not you agree that and i think henry's talked about this and worked with government before but this is the personal autonomy of your own kind of you know what what you put in your body is is down to you but also if 85 percent of processed foods are not safe for children you know there is a governmental and without wanting to kind of like, you know, ask for a nanny state. But surely there needs to be regulations on this because the end product is going to be a very, very expensive, isn't it, for the National Health Service? And uh, uh, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and the the manner in which it's much easier to get <laughs> terrible food mm. um, and particularly, yes, you know, it's quicker. It's um, it's convenient and the distribution of that stuff. I mean, the uh, I find myself doing eating meals at times slightly out of whack with the rest of the population. So it's an absolute disaster for that. The uh, because there's nothing open at eleven mm-hmm. o'clock. You know, that's really even even Leon isn't open. I am in the world of you know the absolute worst of these things. But the uh, yeah, I, I I agree. It would be it would be nice if the market delivered other options. At, mm. at various different times, and because it is, it's ludicrously straightforward to mm. get chips um, and the and, and other anything else. The uh, so I, I when you're on the road, 
it is, you know, I do a lot of travel for work as well. And when you're on the road, it is, you go into any service station. It's, I mean, it's a well-trod kind of trope, this, but you go into any service station and the options are not great, are they, generally? No, they're not great. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to drop one thing because people ever say that I find conversation, public conversations about weight make me uncomfortable in a kind of a, what's mm. an industry I don't particularly want to get involved in. Um, but I do have a, because I can't, obviously when I'm working, I work, I'm at work from six till 11. And then so eating either before six or after 11, it just screws with the, you know, I mean, yeah. we could you can all imagine what the yeah. options are in Luton Town Centre at 11 o'clock at night, you know, or in Glasgow at 11 o'clock at night. No one is going, would you like a lovely <laughs> ratatouille? <laughs> would you like a salad? One like of those late night salad places. Salad that, that people always, yeah. Yeah, when there's a, sal- <laughs> quick, quick, a quick salad place just uh, just near a, a bus stop uh, in Glasgow. There just isn't that kind of option. So, so yeah, the, the, the preponderance of that, the ease with which you could do it, but that's very difficult to fight that. So I don't know what you do. I don't know what, what, what law you, you go into somebody's fried chicken place and well, go. There, I mean, there yeah. are laws, there are laws that people really wouldn't mind. So we did a lot of focus groups and quantitative research. People are fed up with the advertising. So people are fed up with uh, the fact that if you look, if you go on your children's phones and you will see like all of the advertising they're bombarded with is junk food. And that is very, you could restrict advertising. In fact, Boris Johnson was going to do it after he nearly died from uh, what he thought was being overweight with COVID, uh, restrict advertising to children and then didn't. And then the other one that I think you could do, which would be very easy, is like the super, I mean, the, the service stations really are amazing, aren't they? They're kind of like a, a joke about how how bad our food system has got. And they used to be like the row of sweets that you had to walk to to get to the tills. And now that row has turned into a snake. So it's kind of, you have to walk often through two or three kinks mm. of delicious crisps. Of and six Toblerones for a pound. So th- I think that those you can, oh, yeah, yeah. you can no, kind no, of no, work around the edges. You buy a copy of the, of the newspaper and they go, would you like 150 grams of chocolate with your newspaper yeah. for a pound? Like, you're going... <laughs> Jesus, lads. <laughs> I just like the chocolate. I just like the paper, actually. Yeah, um, uh, Henry, I think we probably need you on for a whole episode to talk about food systems and where we're going with this as a as a as a nation. But I think uh, the the kind of message for the individual. I mean, it's just avoid food with emulsifiers and processed food, and, and it's, that's a pretty good start. Fresh isn't it? food and enjoy your exercise and yeah. don't worry about it too much. Try and do the good stuff and avoid the bad stuff, and then don't worry for overweight because it'll be much healthier. And I guess if people do that you know, it will lead to a demand for more of that and that will make companies and government have to think a little bit. Yes. I mean, by the way, Henry, sorry, not to be grim, but I mean, not to be malthus about this, have we just kicked the can down the road in terms of the starvation and the under-resources? Have we just put that problem off? Well, what, what, what I think actually what will probably happen, I think there are two futures. I think one future is we end up, there are these new very effective appetite suppressing drugs. Semaglutide is the first one of, it's the Prozac of these drugs. There, there are four or five others. And I think the most likely thing is that 30 to 40% of the population are on those drugs uh, as they are antidepressants. And that will cause a lot of problems, you know, down the road, but it'll it'll delay the problem. But I also think there is a chance that we will look back at this time and we'll think, wow, they're, they're, like those were the days when we ate all of that stuff. And I was doing a talk to a bunch of six six formers around the corner from me here in Hackney the other day. And I asked the teachers to close their eyes and kind of did a show of hands, like how many of them vaped and half of them vaped and how many of them smoked, none of them smoked. They all thought smoking was disgusting. And I was like, well, you know, like in my day, we could like smoke on the bus. We could smoke on the aeroplane. At one point there was a tube carriage you could smoke on. 
And they were like, wow, really? And so I do think there is a kind of, I think potentially it'll be dystopia, it'll be the drugs. But I am hopeful that actually you can create cultural change. You can, in quite short periods, create huge cultural changes and cultural norms. And I think it is possible we'll look back and think, ooh, those were, those were weird days, a bit like we do now about when, when everyone was smoking everywhere. Uh, Henry, thank you. Best of luck with the book and everything else. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you. Dara, on, on health, generally, you're yeah. married to a doctor. She's urology, isn't she? Yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which obviously, um, having my husband had prostate cancer last year, Kenny had prostate cancer, that's an area of kind of speciality, I imagine, for her looking in urology. Yeah, 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 be, yeah. yeah, yeah, So does she make you go for, you know, regular health checks and things? Is she um, quite... It's just, it's just part of the, the thing. No, not specifically. She's, not, she's no? not very prescriptive about it. But I mean, she's very healthy herself. But I mean, I do. Would you do that anyway? Are you quite good at getting? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, like, as I said, I'm a big guy, but I but I but I intermittently move into periods of exercise, um, depending on things, cycling or swimming or whatever. The I've got a dodgy knee as well, which is never very particularly helpful. I've had that since I was a teenager. So the uh, so I I have been banned from doing impact on my left knee for 22 years now at this stage where they had to sit down somebody goes no you can no longer run for a bus or mm. I do still run for buses that's or, why you or haven't trains. done Strictly isn't it it is I just you can't I couldn't do Strictly the, um, no. because that's like yeah I, the, I mean it's not the only reason I haven't done Strictly but it's very definitely <laughs> a, a definite reason I can't the uh, thing and I've had the leg rebuilt a few times very successfully the last time as well, I have to say though so it's, it's working very well oh really but, the, uh, but you yeah, wouldn't yeah, yeah. chance it by going and doing a half marathon no, no, no. I know I, that I can't do. I still can't do that. But like, I mean, but there was there was genuine decay because there's a hole. There's a hole basically in my in my thigh bone from when the area of bone dries up. It was explained to me once by a doctor when I was nineteen because uh, I'd had all these various knee knee problems. And I went and I said, "Oh, screw this! I'm, I'm not going to go to like a local physiotherapist anymore. I'll go to the best knee person in Ireland." Who I had a ten minute thing with him. Eight minutes of which he spent discussing my choice of subject in universities. Maths, you're doing maths. Oh, the queen of sciences. Um, and at the end of the eight minutes, he said, well, I think you're going to do very well. You seem like a very self-possessed young man. I've literally never, ever heard the word self-possessed. I took it as a compliment. I don't know what it means. I've never heard anyone ever in the last, that 40 years ever describe anyone else as being self-possessed. They said, you're a very self-possessed young man, he said. And I said, yeah, but my knee. He said, oh, your knee. And he just latched up a thing. Like in, in 90 seconds, he went, bang, here it is. That area is dry. That's going to fall off at some point when you're doing something um, and then it'll have to be removed. And then later in life, you'll have to have, um, you probably, you might have had arthritis. And he literally talked through the next 60 years of my Which knee. Happened. Which happened. Oh yeah, all of it, yeah. it's gone bang, bang, bang. Exactly, exactly the schedule. The, the, a bit of knee, the size, bit of knee, which is there. Oh, this is lovely. It's sweet, isn't it? Hang on, let me just... <laughs> They took that out in two thousand five. There it is. There, that's that's oh, my. It looks like uh, a wisdom tooth. Are you it sure? Does, yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah, it'd be. It's more like I mean, a wisdom tooth for like a werewolf or something. It's, a, it's quite large. That <laughs> I've thing. got one of those little receptacles with all my wisdom teeth, and I tell you, they're about that big. Honestly, they're wow. huge when you when you actually when you they do, go the right into the, yeah into the root. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it depends how how, how you hold it. Yeah, uh, it's it's about the size of a word as original. The uh, <laughs> that came out, uh, and um, it came out during a comedian's football match. Oh, I was being tackled by Amadjelidi. Uh, at Kilkenny we playing a football match I popped it back in again and carried on playing and then had to go and have an operation so, 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 so I've hard. had that um, 
rattling around as a, as a, as a uh, memento mori, as a <laughs> symbol and of my own decay. could you have a whole new knee at some point if you wanted one? Yeah, at some point they'll replace the joint. And I Jamie Redknapp to, had two, didn't he? Last oh, sweet few. Jesus. Well, yeah. If you ever go on the League of Their Own, mm. all they do in the dressing room is to compare knee injuries. And I was able to, <laughs> I was able to have, like, hold my own in the conversation uh, and discuss this. Me, Micah Richards and Jamie all discussing various knee replacements and, and options for that, like whatever. I got a knee surgeon by appearing on that show originally. <laughs> yeah, because I said, oh, and Guy Clichy recommended somebody and I went to this guy for a different. Yeah, it's honestly for knees. The best place to go is the, is the, the League of the Road. League of the Road. The one with yeah. all the sports people. Like, honestly, very, very good. So, but I did ask the doctor um, I, when I, I said, look, do I get when I when you replace the joint, do you give me the joint? Because mm. then I can rebuild myself on the outside by gathering all the bits of me that are being removed. And he said, no, we just shave it. So it's actually, it's not like we take the whole thing out like and then give you the so I, I don't get to keep that bit they, oh. I, I think the policy is different now in giving you bits of yourself <laughs> they, <Yeah>. I think <laughs> that's <laughs> it's, which is I think is a shame because um, oh no I mean not only did they give me the, the bone they gave me a DVD of the operation yes I've got I've got that when I have my I had an ACL because I snapped yeah. skiing and I've got the DVD of that which is lovely um, I think it covers them as well doesn't it oh no it's, it's not like you might enjoy watching this on a quiet <laughs> moment it's like so that for, if for any future legal work you can see that we actually did the thing absolutely correctly yeah yeah no no it's entirely covering the, them the only reason the, I ask about your, your wife's input into your health in terms of because I always imagine living with a doctor is very handy for lots of reasons you know in terms of because I ask my husband to diagnose stuff all the time and he's a farmer from Scotland you know yeah, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. because he was in sport for so long he's had so many procedures I'll say what do you think this is and sometimes he forgets he's not a doctor and tries to diagnose and then other times he goes oh for god's sake how do I know what that is do you have you stopped doing no, that no I because very early on I said oh what do you think of this while like flexing an arm oh, what's this right why is it doing this like and uh, she introduced the phrase we'll keep it under active observation <laughs> Which has that's and that's kind of been just a running joke for the last twenty years, like whatever. Yeah, no, no, we're keeping an interactive observation, which is go away, go away. It's just a thing. Today your your shoulder hurts a bit. It'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, look, if I genuinely, so if, I, if I went, oh my god, what's this in my pee? Yes, she'd be very yeah. very quick to go. You need. Well, to Well, she'd this. just be professionally curious at that. Yeah, point, I, I think so. Well, I've never seen green before. Uh, it's grand. Can I video it? I put it up to you know. Am I going to? Case on the, the British Urology website. Yeah, <laughs> but don't worry, the, I won't yeah. mention your name. Um, just Britain's favourite Irishman, as you were previously known. Yeah, that uh, honestly was always that's always Norton. That was always a, <laughs> but that's never, never the case. I think the, you had the uh, title for a wee while there. Uh, so. Yeah, but you know, he's always the, um, the, the part of my fatalism about this is that yes, obviously I should do more to look after myself. But I know that I'm going to get killed by a bus mirror anyway. That's the way all tall people go. On Northbridge in Edinburgh, the amount of times I've looked up and a bus has gone boom like that past me. So that's that's it. There's a bus mirror somewhere with my name on. You'll still be doing the Edinburgh Fringe then by the sounds of it. I oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. I'll, I'll never. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, right. I have not done a property in years. I go up to it every year, though. And one of the years, when, when all is fine, I'll, I will accidentally step out at a bus mirror. Your 50th it. anniversary tour, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I'll no. have done. And people go, guess that really is the end of it. I guess that really is the last chance to see <laughs> as I got clocked by a bus mirror. Uh, it's a permanent fear of tall people that this is how we go. As a macabre yeah. way to finish the midpoint, that, that does feel um, perfect, really. I, Thank I you. No, no, no. I can't think Absolutely. Of a better ending. Look, 
Because I also think midpoint is generous that we're going to do this again when I'm 102. I don't think, you know. I think it's, this it's, a, is, it's a band. It's a band, right? It's a two third, I think this is a two-thirds point, optimistically. It's <laughs> a two-thirds point. Uh, Dara, it's been, and by the way, I, I could sit and talk to you all day and because you know the well you were talking about. It's still full of ideas as far as I'm concerned. It's cool. still interesting. Good. It's still got lots, there's lots to be said. So you've got many, many more shows left in you. Thank you very much. And this is hung over me. You should see me when I have been drinking with Liam Brady, Arsenal football you. legend, until half one in the morning in Camden. Yeah, is yeah. it a good book, by the way? Yeah, it's good. It's great. I mean, again, he he, he tells a good story, uh, Liam, like the ace guard. And look, he's yeah. a legend. So, you know, yeah. he's... he's yeah, You're an right. Arsenal fan, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. As was yeah. every single person in that room last I night. I imagine so. <laughs> it was very nice. I've, I've accidentally bred one, actually, an Arsenal fan. I don't oh, know good. It's a, very, yeah. it's a good time to be as well. Yeah, no. Well, he didn't just choose it recently. He's been through some of the good years. Good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dara, a pleasure. Uh, thank delight. you so much for your time and energy. And, yes, uh, all little is left of us. I'm spent now. <laughs> like, Chance has actually kind of woken me up. This is great. Go I'm have a nap. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Good see luck. you soon. A big thank you to Dara for joining me. I really enjoyed that chat and also providing a podcast first for me. The first guest to take down a piece of his knee from his bookcase and share it with us. I'm grateful to Henry Dimbleby as well for coming on to talk about the UK food system, a huge complex issue that he makes digestible in his book, Ravenous, How to Get Ourselves and Our Planet Into Shape. Thank you to Spiritland Productions for putting the midpoint together, but mostly to you for joining us. I'll be back next Wednesday. Catch you then. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.